We don't grow and evolve when things are working out. We grow and evolve when things totally fall apart. Katie, Katie, let it out. Welcome back, you guys. You are listening to Let It Out with me, your host, Katie Delbau, and this is my podcast where I have really long conversations with wise, smart, fascinating people who I admire in some way or another. And today's guest, who you just heard a quote from, Andrea Owen, is an author and a life coach and just a really smart mom and woman and activist and person. And we talked about friendship, we talked about gossip, we talked about shame and vulnerability and feeling your feelings, which is a big one for me. We talked about what life coaching is actually and how it's different from therapy and I loved hearing about that. We talked about motherhood a bit, we talked about family life, body image of course, you know, really hit all the notes with this one. And at the end of this episode, I have an interview with someone named Dr. Ginger. She is really cool. And I just, you might have been following me for a while and know I love oil pulling and like oral health in general. And I love coconut. So she developed this coconut oil toothpaste and coconut oil mouthwash. And you'll hear all about it in the interview, but that's going to be at the end of the interview with Andrea. And then after that, I'll be back to tell you a couple things, you know, like the emoji for this week's episode and who's coming up on the show next week, maybe, you never know, and just some more information. So anyway, I want to get into both of those conversations, but first, we have a new sponsor this week, you guys, a new sponsor that I'm really psyched about. It's called Care Of, and I can't even believe they're a sponsor because I love them. Like, I'm really obsessed with them. They are a vitamins and supplements company, but I don't even, it's so much more than that. It's really cool. They are great because as you know, I love supplements, I love vitamins, and one of the best ways to make sure that your body's getting the nutrition that it needs is to take some when you can. And it's really hard to figure out exactly which ones to take, and especially if you're buying them at the the drugstore, you know, Whole Foods or wherever. There's so many options, and you don't know what you're getting or what your body even needs. So Care-of is your answer for your vitamin needs. And on their site, what's really cool, it's all really well designed. And what they do is they give you this little quiz for free. You can take the quiz and not even buy the supplements, which, you know, or like you can, you could buy them somewhere else. Like you could figure out what supplements you need to take and you could potentially not even use care of, but I'm going to tell you why you should. And here's why. So you go to their site and they ask you a bunch of questions about diet and your health goals and you know your lifestyle and it it takes about I want to say like 15 minutes I really enjoyed it because I love doing those sorts of quizzes and it will it's this really really well organized really like I said very well designed the user experience is great takes just a few minutes and you find out you know all of these things to you know if you need more energy if you need if you 
I need help with digestion or skin or a little bit of all of those things. That's what I needed. Anyway, so it will tell you exactly what you need to take and why. And then, this is the coolest part. They send you your supplements in these adorable personalized daily packs, which is so convenient. And they're adorable. Like I said, Instagram experience is fantastic for them. And the greatest part of this company really is that they use the best ingredients in their vitamins and supplements. They're actually really legit. And you'll actually save money when you, this is the part where I was like, you could just buy them somewhere else, but this is the part. First of all, they use really good ingredients. Secondly, you'll actually save money buying them with Care-of because compared to your local health food store, they are discounted, which is great. And I've got a discount code for you. So if you want to try a month of Care of Vitamins, you know, just try it out for a month, might as well, here's why, you can get 50% off your first order if you use my code, which is Katie, K-A-T-I-E, my name. Anyway, so I love this product, this company, this quiz, it's really helped me in my life, and I think it could help you with your lifestyle and health goals and energy, and I just wanted to share it with you guys. So if you want to try it out, go to takecareof.com, so that's take careof.com and get your personalized recommendation and make sure you use my code katie it's all caps katie and that's good for 50 percent off of your first order or you know in the first two weeks of your order you'll notice difference and you'll notice that these are really helpful and also you know a typical month starts at about 20 dollars a month depending on what's in your pack so anyway use the code katie at checkout for 50 percent off and that's takecareof.com for your personalized recommendation thank you so much care of for sponsoring the podcast i love you guys and i'm so excited that you are a new sponsor all right now we're going to get into the episode but stick around for the interview with dr ginger and again it's really great. I'm obsessed with this coconut oil toothpaste. I want to eat it. I just can't get enough of it. People who spend the night at my house can't get enough of it. It's amazing. If you spend the night at my house, you can try it. Or if you can't do that, if you can't make it, you're all invited. But if you can't make it, you can get a 15% off discount using the code COCO at checkout. So we'll get into that at the end. But I love you guys and enjoy my interview with Andrea. Before I've been liking starting with this question lately, before we get into your past and your present and your your future with, you know, your new book and everything going on with you now, I like to start like in the very, very present. So what is interesting to you today? What's fascinating to you today? What have you been learning or been passionate about today or in the last like week or month? Wow. Um, You know, it's, Oh, so many things are popping into my head. I think just really the thing that's coming up, and I got it tattooed on my arm in December, so no wonder it keeps coming up, is just is the whole concept of surrender. And I think that, you know, if you ask seven people what surrender means to them, you're going to get seven vastly different answers. And ask me on any given day, and you're probably get a different answer as well. But it's just really kind of you know, I found myself walking up the stairs in my house, coming to my office to get ready for this interview. And I have, I'm getting ready to, to walk into a launch in the spring. There's so many things to do and, you know, just the big long to-do list. And I was kind of stressing out about it. And I'm like, I wonder if I should work tonight after, you know, my kids go to bed. And I'm like, you know what? No, because it's, it doesn't really matter. Like <laughs> it'll yeah. all get done. And I know when I feel overwhelmed, then 
one of my numbing mechanisms of choice is control and is like achieving and, you know, crossing off the to-do list and and just overworking. So I just was like, nope, I'm going to surrender to what is, it's all going to be fine and just relax. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Which is such a challenging place to get to, but it really shows (laughs) how much work you've done on yourself. Usually I fail miserably at it. Like that's me at my most evolved. Like when I was walking up the stairs. (laughs) Yeah, my most evolved. Just really kind of letting go of the outcome. And and I think for a lot of people, I don't know if your listeners are like this too, but sometimes I get into that dichotomous thinking of either I'm a total slacker or I do it all, you know, go big or go home. And that was my that's how I was for such a long time. And, and really, it's taken some learning that, you know what, I do work really hard, and I'm allowed to let some things go and just know that everything's going to be taken care of and that I'm taken care of. Yeah, what is that all about? Like, I'm totally like that all or nothing <laughs> it's thinker, so common. where, mm-hmm. you know, it's either, I even find myself doing it like with productivity, if I have, let's say I have an hour, but I have work that could fill four hours. I'm like, well, I'm not going to do anything because (laughs) I don't have enough time to get it all done, you know? And if I had, like, I just had, I I don't know, know, do you have any tips on how to get out of that, you know, way of being? Yeah, well, I think that the biggest part of it, and I say this all the time, and you probably have heard this in personal development, is that awareness is half the battle. Like, if you know what's actually happening, you can really start to heal yourself and and look for new tools and actually practice them. I think that, you know, on a side note, that that can become a little bit dangerous. And there's a term in psychology called over-identification where we start to like pick apart everything that we're doing and and like, well, is this good? Is this bad? And so sometimes with self-awareness comes a crap ton of <laughs> like, like you just be neurotic. But if you can watch out for that and you can really just know when you're doing that, like all or nothing behavior. And I think, you know, it can have layers to it. Once you start unpacking it, it, there could be an element of self-sabotage and that's like a whole different conversation. It could be just an element of like super high achieving and, you know, that could be a whole different conversation. So I think it's about like knowing thyself and just really just knowing, and it could be look different in different parts of your life. Like you might do it a lot with fitness or you might do that in your relationships or you might do it with work and so again it's just a matter of of kind of identifying different areas of your life and seeing if you do that I think some people do it in all areas of their life yeah yeah so interesting I love your perspective on everything you can see you're so smart and articulate with these concepts that you know I hear other people talk about but I love the way that you distill them and and talk about them with people so I want to start with kind of how you grew up around feelings and articulating your feelings because I connect with you so much because I think I've heard you speak about this and I think we probably spoke about this on when I was on your podcast, which mm-hmm. I don't even really remember what we, we talked did. about. I just remember it being awesome, but that you grew up in a place where you didn't really discuss feelings and you didn't really have a vocabulary to discuss them until later in life when you did this sort of work on yourself. So can you tell us about what it was like growing up in that way and then how you ended up getting to the point where you have this self-awareness developed that you do? 
Yeah, it's kind of a it's a funny story, and I think I think my childhood is a very common one. I was lucky enough to grow up in a very loving and affectionate household. So, and of course, I have to preface this by saying, you know, I I don't tell the story to blame and shame my parents. I think my my parents learned their parenting tools from their parents, and you know, it's this older generation of the fact that you didn't talk about the hard stuff. You know, I, I often say like, we had one feeling in my family and that was happiness and, and joy. And if you had any others, then you went to your room and you did that on your own. Um, you know, I remember the first time I ever saw my father cry. And I know there's probably a lot of people listening who have never seen their father cry. And I was terrified. And one of their, they had a family friend that had committed suicide um, and she had depression. And I remember like no one ever talked about it in my family. I didn't know what that was. Um, all I knew is that my dad was crying and that it was awful and I was scared. And so, you know, it's just like one example of, of what happened where, um, again, it was just, we didn't, we didn't disclose these things. And my, my parents got divorced when I was 18 and, um, they sent me to therapy and it was like their same therapist that they had seen. And, and I remember she said, it was like in one of the very first sessions, she said, I don't even remember how it came up, but she said, you know, your mom doesn't really she's not very comfortable talking about her feelings. And I remember thinking to myself, like, there's another way? Like, do, do, do families talk about their feelings? Like, I couldn't fathom that that people actually were okay and comfortable talking about the hard things in life. We just stuffed it and we just stockpiled it. And, and then, um, you know, my life kind of fell apart um, when I was about 31. And then I decided to become a life coach because that's what we do <laughs> when, <laughs> when we have a lot of healing to do. And I walked into those rooms um, in, in the tra- in training, the Coaches Training Institute, and there was a lot of feelings being talked about. And I remember being paralyzed and just looking around at people like so incredibly uncomfortable. I wanted to run for the hills. I didn't like that people were asking me to talk about stuff. I didn't like that people were being open with their own. I didn't think badly of those people. It just, I knew that it was the the most uncomfortable thing I had ever been in in my life. And in my relationship, my intimate relationship that I had been in a long time before that, like, I was I was open with my feelings, but they were erratic. You know, like I just would cry and get hysterical. Like I didn't have any emotional boundaries because I was never taught any and I was never modeled any at all. So I didn't know how to do feelings. And you know what I've come to realize now I'm 41 and I've been doing this work for about 10 years. There's a lot of women my age and younger and older that that don't have any we don't have any coping skills. And so in essence, really in my practice, that's what I do is I teach women coping skills because we don't know how to cope. And the way that we do is we drink too much, we shop too much, we work out too much, we starve ourselves, we spend way too much time on the internet, we blame, we are the victim, like we do all of these things that make us feel like crap and we don't understand why we're at the end of our rope. Yeah. So many things I want to pick up on that you said, but getting back into your story. So you said some things started to happen that led you into life coaching training. Were you still in mm-hmm. therapy at that time? And what was kind of going on in your life then? And why did you choose life coaching as your path? Well, it was I was in therapy on and off. And uh, so I was in um, a relationship from the time I was 17 and we got married 10 years later <clears throat> and Two years into our marriage, we were discussing trying to conceive our first child, as you would do, <laughs> where a lot of couples do at that 
moment in time in their relationship. And he had an affair with our neighbor and got her pregnant. And it wasn't really a matter of, oh my gosh, I made this mistake. Andrea, will you forgive me? Let's try to figure it out. I still want to be with you. It was, I'm in love with this woman. I want you to leave. Um, yeah, basically oh this woman kind of like stepped into my place, you know, and, and I had yeah. been with him at that point for almost 14 years. His family was my family and I was essentially like kind of pushed out of this family and it, it tore that whole family apart. It was awful. Wow. And then I immediately started dating again, which I should not have done. I started dating to kind of distract myself and try to heal my broken heart. It was a disaster. And I met a man who I thought was Mr. Right. And he told me he had cancer. And it's it's such a long, dramatic story. I can, I can give you the link to, I wrote the whole article for exojane.com. Basically, I got conned. And he didn't have cancer. He had an opiate addiction. And I was I was living in San Diego at the time. That's where I'm from. And I was crossing the border into Tijuana to get his cancer medication. I, I thought, I, I swear to God, I thought he had cancer. And I thought I was getting his cancer medication. So he had it all set up to where oh I was crossing gosh. the border back into the United States with illegal drugs, thinking that it was his cancer medication. And really, it was opiates. Um, and he siphoned thousands of dollars from me. It, it was it was. I was a wreck. And then at the end of that, um, about nine or 10 months, I had um, I had left my job and I had left my apartment because we were gonna move away together to the Bay Area. And he, um, I, I confronted him about everything. He confessed, actually, he went to rehab. His mom paid for him to go to rehab, um, a fancy one in Arizona. And I also found out I was pregnant. And then he met someone in rehab that he fell in love with and broke up with me. So there I was. I didn't have a place to live. Um, I wasn't homeless. Like I could say I was I was living at my sister's house, which is just so humiliating because, you know, she had she was married and she had two kids and everyone just like I could feel everyone's pity around me. And it was just excruciating. Mm. Um, Yeah, I was 31. And it wasn't like I was some teenage girl who didn't know better. Like I was a 31 year old woman who. I thought should have known better, but I was, I was a wreck. You know, I didn't, um, I didn't know how to cope with life. I didn't know how to stand up for myself and say no, like while I was like screaming the whole time inside. And so, yeah, I got myself into a pickle and picked myself up off the ground and decided like, I'm not going to be a mom and, and not know how to deal with life. I need to figure this out. And so I really you know, to be perfectly honest with you, Katie, like part of me wanting to be a life coach was because I was in a way kind of running away from my own stuff. And if anyone's listening who's done life coach training, you know that you can't do that. Like that's not how it works. Like you have to deal with your own stuff. And I was, and I, I threw myself into 12 step programs and their intense therapy and my training and, um, coaching and just everything. And I, I kind of put myself on the fast track to, cause I was ready. I totally like filleted myself open. I, I went a little bit kicking and screaming, but for the most part I was done. I was so done with relying on everyone else to make me happy and blaming everyone else when I wasn't happy. So that's really kind of the bottom line of what, how I changed my life. Like I decided to take responsibility for my own crap because it really, it really wasn't everybody else's fault. Like, sure. Like they had done really crappy stuff to me, but I had tolerated it. I didn't follow my intuition when my intuition was screaming at me to leave both of those relationships. I didn't, um, I just allowed people to treat me poorly. I didn't set boundaries ever 
ever. <laughs> and then I was mad at people for not reading my mind about my boundaries that didn't exist. <laughs> so it was just all of these things that piled up and piled up until it all fell apart. Wow. What a story. That's so, thank you for sharing all of that. That's so fascinating of, of how you kind of came to this work. And it sounds like in life coaching training, you were really healing yourself and using yourself as a guinea pig for everything you were learning at that time. Did you, I know you met your best friend during that time. Did mm -hmm. it really feel like a healing for you? What happened next? So you're, you know, you go through this really traumatic two experiences back to back and then now mm -hmm. you're in life coach training and you're mm -hmm. a mess. How, what was that time period like for you and how did you really pull yourself out of that to get, get us up to the present where you're, you know, this very successful author working on your second book, having a very successful business and you're, you know, married again with two children. Like what, you know, what kind of brought you there and what was that time like when you really, really were still in the weeds with things? You know, it's <clears throat> sometimes I'm even surprised that that I figured it out, you know, and, and it's still still absolutely a work in progress. I mean, there's still stuff that I work on. And, um, you know, my as you know, my dad died just this last October, which kind of sent me into a tailspin. And and I got sober in 2011. So I was about um, I finished my my coach training in 2009, I think it was. And then I started my business late that year and then in early 2011 I got sober and I was a I was a really I was a high bottom alcoholic um I didn't have like a tragic story I never had any DUIs I never like totally humiliated myself in my front lawn my thong or anything like that like it just I knew like where I was headed my dad also got sober when I was 18 and um and so I knew what it looked like and I knew I knew how the story was going to end if I kept drinking so I quit and and going through that like that was kind of like my last vice was alcohol and you know before that I had an eating disorder in my 20s that I kind of flirted with in and out of I was severely codependent that was like really the root of my problem and I was also a love addict so um, I had healed from most of that and you know like when I started my coach training and really like when I was saying like I threw myself into all of the the recovery of all of that and it was almost like like without missing a beat when I recovered from that is when my drinking kind of picked up and I also had two small children at the time and if anyone's listening that has two small children or even one small child like you know that losing your identity of being like this young fun single girl into motherhood um, is it, it can be, it can, a lot of stuff can come up. And for me, I was just bored. I was really bored and, you know, grieving so many different things that I wasn't dealing with. So I got sober. And when I got sober, a lot of grief kind of exploded in my face. So 2011 was a big year. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, that's when I started writing my first book too. So it was a lot of, a lot of healing and really just, I think like to bottom line it again, it's like, it's just getting really, really honest with myself and, um, and like making new friends who do this type of work, who are, who I can trust and who I can learn to trust myself at the same time. And that's been, a, that's a whole nother conversation of friendships and what that yeah. looks like. And, 
yeah, that was like learning how to be a good friend. I didn't know how to be a good friend. And um, I was a crappy friend to some people, some who I've, I've been able to make amends to and um, the friendship is great again, some who I've made amends to and decided they don't want to be friends with me anymore and lots of heartbreak and just it's all learning. You know, we don't grow and evolve when things are working out. We grow and evolve when things totally fall apart. Yeah. Wow. So fascinating. I want to... I wanted to talk about friendship anyway, so I guess let's just start there. I know when you were in your coaching training, you met your best friend, Amy, who mm-hmm. also is amazing. And I would love to hear about, you know, it sounds like you were really in the weeds. You were really, my friends mm-hmm. and I call it going through it, GTI. You were really GTI at that time. I, I call it walking through the fire. Yeah. Same thing. <laughs> you were in it at that point. And so you know, was she kind of in it in something in her own way? Like, how did you guys meet? What was that like, you know, going through coaching training when you were still, you know, kind of an open wound, really, at that time? You know, I think I didn't really realize how much of an open wound I was until that happens a lot, I think, like, we don't realize how much how deep we're in it until we start to get out of it and still we can kind of see in hindsight and then we're like oh man that was bad but when I met Amy it's it's kind of a funny story so we met as assistants for um the coaches training institute one of the core curriculum weekends we actually did two together and and when you're an assistant you've you've basically already gone through the curriculum and you're kind of like in the back of the room helping out and and it was funny like we spent this whole weekend together at this training helping out and we kept getting in trouble because we were in the back of the room talking too much or like playing games with popcorn and stuff and, and not doing our job and at the very end of this weekend the way CTI does it is they get everybody in a circle you know friendship circle and we talk about our feelings and we we say something that we need to say to feel complete and so Amy's you know talking about all the the students and how much she loves coaching and then she turns to me and she says very emotionally, like she got tears in her eyes and she's like half crying, like how happy she is to have met me and that she's asked the universe for kindred spirits. And she's just so honored to have spent this time with me. And I am like, what the hell is this girl talking about? <laughs> like I, I, and she tells the story even funnier because she says that I like looked over at her and I was like, thank you. like I had nothing profound or kind to say back but I was so uncomfortable and I'm like I was appreciative of it but I just was like oh my god get me out of here like this making me want to crawl out of my skin so it's just um no she wasn't going through anything she just was her her awesome self um she lost her father but um it's been 11 years since she lost her father and she's she's got a great marriage and she just was she was fascinating to me like she was this um wildly dressed spirit who I just wanted to be around. And, uh, yeah, we just, we just were like two magnets to each other. And, um, you know, it was, it was really kind of a miracle. I think that, that I found her and she's really taught me about communication and and how to be a really good friend. Cause we don't inherently know these things. We don't. And it just, it, it takes work. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm like obsessed with your friendship with her. She was on your most recent episode of your podcast, which I listened to today. And I just was on a walk and I was just smiling. And I said out loud, I was like, I love that. Like, I just love you guys so much. You're, you're so cute. We, we try so hard not to be annoying when we do podcast episodes together because we have like 
uh, a secret language and, and nicknames for each other. And so it's, it's almost, it, it's hard for us to not do that, but we've gotten some feedback. Sometimes people are like, yeah, we get it. You're best friends. Like, <laughs> yeah, calm down. <laughs> I love it. I say amp it up. Like, I, I think I know your nicknames for each other. Like, I love it. I want more of it. I think it's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. And you, you talk about this and this is something that I've really cultivated in the last few years of, of my life as well, but the importance of female friendships and how they can be complicated relationships sometimes, but Uh how important they are to feed and maintain and, you know, the complications that kind of ensue with that. So what advice do you have there? I have more questions on that, but let's start there. I think... You know, I, I just, I really think, and I think a lot of your listeners are like 20 something, right? Like that age group. Yeah. Okay. So, cause I could, I could speak to two different groups of people. I think, um, I think the, the girls that make it through your twenties who are your friends are a very special group of women. And I think that, um, I think that if you can make it through a friendship <laughs> during that decade of your life <laughs> without killing each other, without stabbing each other in the back so badly that the friendship is just not not fixable, I think you've got a really great friend. And I and I, and I think I can say this to, to all ages listening. Yeah. And it's not just women in their 20s. You know, we have women's, women in their 30s and 40s and moms. Mm-hmm. So I really want to hear all of your perspectives. Yeah. I think that one of the biggest things that I've learned is, is really – because I think most of us, not all of us, but most of us are in these friendships and we share something big with our friends. And we are hoping to be, even if we don't know this, you know, consciously, but we're hoping to be met with empathy. And what empathy is, is, is really when somebody just just can like touch that part of themselves that that is feeling what you're feeling, even though if they haven't been through it and just say something like, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Like, what do you need from me right now? Or what, what can I do for you? Or how can I help you? And, and I think what happens a lot is instead we're met with somebody trying to fix it. Somebody saying, you know, like, oh my God, you're exaggerating. It wasn't that bad. Um, someone one-upping us or, uh, you know, just, there, there could be like several different ways that we are, um, that people respond and it makes us feel, um, invalidated. It makes us feel sometimes patronized and, um, it never feels good. And then we tend to not share things with our friends or we just end up feeling like crap. And, and I really, um, you know, learning how to respond to people. And, and let me let me back up because I, the reason and I've responded that way to to people when they share stuff with me. And the reason I do it and I'm pretty sure the reason other people do it is because we're uncomfortable. Like we can't. I was I was so much like I could not be with my own feelings. So I sure as shit couldn't be with yours. You know, it's like I I just I couldn't. And so that's, I think, why we respond that way. It gets up in our own vulnerability grill and we just can't. So I think that it's it's really kind of calling that out in a very kind way. And, And what I do, like, you know, some advice that I have is is just prefacing conversations and learning to ask for what you want. And you can do it in a kind way. You know, you can say. I'm about to tell you something that's really big and I, I need for you to just listen and not try to fix it. So like, especially if you have somebody who's a fixer and, um, and because people love that, like people want to know how to help you. 
they do like like how awesome is it where we can kind of like design that ahead of time where where we're just asking for what we want and and hopefully getting it and um i mean i would just start there with just like asking for what you need you know and two i think that a lot of times we kind of bulldoze over the people who we know will be awesome for us and try to get the attention or the affection from the people who continuously don't show up for us like <laughs> maybe take inventory of that too yeah you've I've heard you talk before really in an interesting way about gossip and how that can mm-hmm. be so detrimental to friendships and to happiness and we've all done it before and it can be an easy crutch for connection with people can you yeah. talk about that a little bit yeah I think gossip is and and you know what I'm not going to sit here and say because I've I've heard I've heard other self help experts like you know like just don't gossip at all and I'm like you know what girl like sometimes I still gossip and I think that we like with our very best friends I think that um, I think I've I gossip very differently than I used to like you know there's like there's being a, a full on hater and then there's just you know like sharing stories and 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 things like that I think that there's um, I think there's a pretty menacing way to do it. And then there's just kind of, I don't know. I'm kind of digging myself in a hole right now. But I just, I think that, (laughs) Katie, oh, yeah. (laughs) No, I I understand what you mean. I mean, I feel like sometimes it's like, like if you know something and you need to share it with someone, I don't, if it's not in in a malicious way, it's just like, this is something that I know and you also know this person Mm-hmm. And I want to get it off my chest to someone who I can connect with on it, not to talk about it in a bad way. I'm yes. not sure if that's wrong, okay. you know? Yeah. So, no, what I was talking about is like – and maybe what I was thinking of is, isn't even gossip. Like, so I'm thinking of, you know, if somebody somebody like posts some like kind of passive-aggressive comment on Instagram to me and then I like take a screenshot of it and I send it to Amy and I'm like, what is this? You know, and we're like, yeah. ew, we don't like her. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> like dumb, just really petty kind of stuff. I think that... Why does that feel so good? <laughs> I know. It's just, I think that sometimes, and what Amy and I call it is like, I don't want to play personal development today. Like I just, I just can't be the spiritual evolved person. You know, I think we all have days where we just don't feel good. We're not feeling our best. Yeah. But what you were pointing out, I think is really important. So there's been times where like I, I'm in a circle of friends and something's really bothering me about that, some, that someone else is doing and I have to where I'm trying to take inventory and for instance like if I came to you and said okay our mutual friend Jane has been doing this and it's and it's bothering me and I and I I would love your feedback so if you can tell me if I'm overreacting or if I need to have a conversation with her like what do you think so I think that that can be fine it just it really is the the way that you're doing it and i think what you were getting at in the beginning of your question is is like good old fashioned gossip especially to people that we don't know all that well can be i think a subconscious way that we kind of try to hotwire a connection with people and you know it's like i know something that you might find interesting and so i'm going to tell you in hopes that you like me a little bit more or pay attention to me so to bring our friendship a little bit closer and like that's the kind that i think can be kind of toxic and just really a, not a great way to start a friendship yeah yeah, totally. And I think that that's just good advice because it never it never feels good after that. Mm-mm. Another no. thing with female friendship that comes up a lot is jealousy. How, what are your thoughts on that? You know, maybe some top line things of, you know, kind of how to handle jealousy in, in female friendships. Well, I think it happens 
A lot, you know, and I, I think anytime you're feeling jealous, I think it's such a huge invitation to just do some inventory about like, what is it that you, I, I think a lot of times we're jealous is it, it's our own stuff. Like it's our own insecurities. It's our own, own feelings of unworthiness and not feeling like, 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 you know, success and happiness, like it's not a pie you know, there's not just like a certain amount for certain people. And I think that that's what jealousy is. Like we make up that that's not for us at all. Yeah. And so I think that it's, it's, again, it's just an invitation for you to get really curious about what you're jealous of. And it like, you know, falls down into that whole compare and despair. Like I'll never have that. And then your inner critic gets going and it's just, I just, I've gotten really good at, and, and this is the work I do is, is catching yourself in those moments instead of going down that rabbit hole for 10, 15 minutes or an hour or more days where you're so caught up in it that your thoughts are overwhelmed by it. And then you start making decisions based on that feeling. Yeah. That's what I want to like help people stop doing because I think we've all lived there before. So if you can catch yourself in the moment and not try to like turn your thoughts around into positive flowery, like I don't, I don't do that. I just like I have a mantra where I just find myself in those moments and I tell myself, all right, well, that just happened. And then like do an about face and do something else or distract myself with something else or call my friend and tell her that I just went down the rabbit hole, compare and despair. And then we laugh about it. And then and then I move on. I just I think that like it doesn't have to be that complicated. It doesn't have to be positive affirmations at all. Like to me, it's just normal human behavior that we all do. And I just like catch myself in the moment and then go in another direction. Yeah. Love all of that. And I have so much I could say on that, but I have so many other things I want to ask you. I'm going to just like pivot into a new direction. (laughs) (laughs) So going back to the beginning when you decided to go to life coaching school and then from there you had to start a business. So I want to know what that was like for you, but also could you give the distinction between life coaching and therapy and, and how you decided, you know, to go into life coaching and, and maybe, you know, what, what is a session with you like and how did you kind of transition into the work you're doing? That was a bunch of questions, but yeah, no, I think it's, you know, it's like no one's ever asked me that before. And I think it's, it's interesting to kind of talk out selfishly for me to talk out because I was actually in the beginning interested in being a therapist and, and now it's interesting all these years later, my, I do have some crossover. I've, I've been trained in the work of, of Dr. Brene Brown and, um, and certified in her work. And so there's a little bit of crossover, like, let's be honest, cause it's clinical, the work that I do. And, but in the beginning, I think that life coaching really appealed to me because it was less about feelings. <laughs> wow. It was more about action and, and a really kind of, um, rudimentary way to describe it is, um, you know, a, a therapist, like if someone has agoraphobia or like they're afraid to leave their house, a therapist will help that person figure out why they are afraid to leave their house and like what are the things that led up to them being so afraid to leave their house. And a life coach is going to help them strategize and create a plan of action and hold them accountable to actually leave their house. So like, yeah, in simplest terms, that's what it is. So as the industry has evolved a lot there's all kinds of different life coaching and, um, you know, there's so many different, you really kind of, it's like 31 flavors. Like you can really pick and choose what specialty you want. And that's why you see so many different life coaches having these like really narrow niches of, um, of what they actually do. And so what were some of the other questions you had? The difference between the two and then kind of what, 
is a session with you like? You know, okay. what, you know, maybe giving an experience of that kind of walking us through that. Yeah, well, I do a few different things. So I have like bigger package where I take someone through a program and it's really all about vulnerability and, you know, their friendships and taking inventory of all of that and taking a lot of action in the meantime. But it is about, um, and, and some of it goes into family of origin. Like, what did you learn growing up about vulnerability? <clears throat> Excuse me. And also we get into shame too, like learning about what were your shame um, stories growing up and even in your workplace and, and all in an effort to become shame resilient because I don't teach people not to ever have shame anymore. I can't. I'm not a brain surgeon. I teach people how to be shame resilient. I'll tell you something really interesting. <clears throat> this is sort of the premise of my second book because what I realized is that all of the women that were coming to me struggled in some very specific areas. So it was a lot of negative self-talk and comparisons. It was perfectionism. It's um, really struggling with control, struggling with numbing out and also hiding out and isolating and a few other ones. But those were like the main behaviors that they were doing. And really what's happening is like anytime you're engaging in those behaviors, you're running away from shame. Like you're putting those behaviors on as like a kind of like armor or protection to try to protect yourself from shame. Because the women that I work with don't walk around feeling ashamed. They don't they don't say like, oh, I have so much shame in my life. So they don't really resonate with the with the whole term shame or even like the work around it, but they do resonate around the work of perfectionism and control and hiding out and numbing out. So it's all related. So they, they don't realize it until I explain that. And then when we get in, into a, a little bit more and I talk and I teach them about their triggers and they uncover all of those, then they see the connection. So it's really interesting. You know, it's like that whole process takes like several months and it's completely life changing. I went through it and it totally turned my life upside down and in a good way. But then also what I do sometimes in like shorter packages is I'm one of my strengths and my zone of genius is really calling people forth and um, in, a, in a really loving way. And I'm really good at reading between the lines. So it's it's really Calling forth is, it's a coaches training institute term and it's like one of their like four cornerstones and it's, um, it's really, so like for instance, if you say you wanted to, um, say you wanted to start your speaking career and you came to me and you told me all the reasons that you haven't done it. So what I would do in a session is just cut through all of that BS with a machete and and figure out we, there's a little bit of strategizing it's a little bit of figuring out and deciphering what is your inner critic and what is your true highest self and like what is your intuition actually telling you and asking you really big questions like you know in 10 years or even when you're 90 like are you going to look back at this part of your life and be happy with the decision and like these stupid excuses that you're giving me yeah. like I don't I don't mince words and, and I, and I'm, and I hold people accountable too. You know, I'm like, I'm texting clients like often, like, did you get this homework assignment done? Did you make this phone call? Did you, and it, and it really is in service of their highest self. Yeah. And, and it's not brain science, you know, it's like if they could do it themselves, they would. It's just a matter of, of, I guess I could have, that was a long way of saying is that I push people, take them to the edge of their life and jump with them. I love that. You mentioned at the beginning that you provide people coping skills. And I want to get back to what we were talking about, about how we both connected over this. Of, because, you know, how I grew up was not talking about my feelings and didn't wasn't even really aware of them until much later, which is how I got into journaling. And, you know, people have heard my story who listened to the podcast. But it's 
about feeling, my therapist told me this summer, which I think I told you when we spoke, that I used to walk around being like, I'm someone who feels so many feelings and, and I'm just a feeler. And she was like, no, Katie, you don't feel any feelings at all. You think your feelings. You're in your head. Yeah. You're not in your body. Right. And then I saw this Louis C.K. thing on Conan. Have you seen that? Where he talks. I don't know. I'll send it to you. I, I feel like you'd love it. He basically talks about how he was driving and he got overcome with emotion of, you know, a negative emotion. And instead of, you know, turning to his phone or the radio or calling mm -hmm. someone, he just pulled over and felt it fully. And it was yeah. terrible. And he mm -hmm. cried. But on the other side of that feeling is joy and is happiness. But you have to fully allow yourself to be in your body and feel. So how do you, what are your, you know, tips for being embodied and feeling, actually feeling your feelings so you can move through them. And, you know, there are times when we can't feel, we have to cope. And uh -huh. what are some healthier ways to do that? Because we all cope in different ways. Like you said, you know, addiction and, and so many different things, but you know, when is it the time to feel and how do you help people to get embodied and actually feel? And then what kind of coping mechanisms can you provide people? That's a great question. And I, <clears throat> I think that for the sake of total transparency, it's one of the things that I have continuously struggled with. And, you know, we always attract the people that are the same around us. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I think that I was going to wait until that. <laughs> yeah. So, so appropriate. We too. got a, We got a lot of sirens over here. It means we're That's talking so about something good. <laughs> uh-huh. But you know, if you look at it like a three-legged stool, like we as human beings, you know, one of the legs is is thinking, one of the legs is doing, and one of the legs is feeling. And we don't want to feel. Like, you know, me and, and all of my clients, if we could just think and do our way through it, we would be golden, you know, because we're good at thinking and doing. Yeah. And so, you know, I think we all get to that breaking point where, and that's really the women that come to work with me privately have have everything going on on the outside. They have climbed the corporate ladder or they are, you know, married with children or maybe their marriage didn't work out, but they're still like surviving and thriving. Everyone would think that they are just like kicking ass in life. And they have, they have been on a two-legged stool of thinking and doing their whole lives and they can't figure out what's wrong. And the reason I say I, I help women with coping skills is because They've coped in all those ways I was talking to you about before. It's perfectionism. It's hiding out. It's numbing out. It's control. And it and it and there's a saying in recovery of it works until it doesn't. And they get to a point where it stops working. And that's what we work on is really – and a lot of it is what I tend to get is a lot of women who have unprocessed grief. And, and this does not necessarily mean that someone has died in their life. So they are grieving the loss of their identity as a single woman. They are grieving the loss of their identity in their former job, or maybe they moved out of their hometown, or it's a breakup, or, um, you know, it could be several different things that have piled up and piled up. And they have, when it happens, they have soldiered on, you know, they like lock and load and they just plow through it. And they're still essentially in the weeds and they think that they are through it and like, you know, I'm just going to get over it. You know, I should be over it by now. It's been 10 years or it's, you know, it's been long enough or I don't love him anymore. Why am I still not over it? And so essentially it's about slowing down, which is 
so hard for so many of us. You know, I have my hand raised too. And it's like, you know, you love to do too. It's a lot of journaling. It's a lot of um, like writing letters to yourself. Um, I give the assignment a lot of like writing unedited letters, like letters so unfiltered that you need to password protect them on your computer because if someone saw them, they would think that you have lost your mind. Like if that's how bad it is, then you're doing it right. Like I want women to get it out because a lot of them have rage that they haven't let out. Title of my book. Yeah, that they haven't let it out. Exactly. So it's it's really just about giving permission. I know it sounds like so simple, but giving permission to feel their feelings. Like probably all of my clients have the assignment of like writing letters to, you know, and, and if they're telling me a story that happened, you know, maybe they'll say like when I was 10, my dad told me I needed to get put on a diet. When I was 26, a guy, you know, told me that I should probably get a boob job or something like that. So it's like, I, I asked them like, write a letter to your 26 year old self, write a letter to your 10 year old self. And it's, it's really just about getting those feelings out. And then I, without fail, whenever I give that assignment, even just giving the assignment, they start crying. And I'm like, well, there's your answer that there's stuff there that needs to be dealt with. And so really it's just, you know, a lot of times I'm just, I'm just holding women's hand while they, cry and allow themselves to go into that space of, of feeling and like giving themselves the opportunity to do that because no one has ever asked them to do it. A lot of times they've just like thought it was unnecessary or it was really weak or so many different things, the reason that they don't do it. And it doesn't go away. It stays with you. The body keeps score. And again, it works until it doesn't. Yeah. I think also, you know, I'll speak for myself. We are people who like to control everything. So giving up that control to a coach and say, saying, you know, tell me what to do and then doing it, I think can be really cathartic. Absolutely. Just totally. someone in that role. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned this kind of earlier. We started to touch on this a little bit, but how, and I, I forget what you called it, but how as humans, we tend to isolate ourselves when we're not feeling like our best selves, whether that's, you know, with body image or, you know, something else that, you know, we identify ourselves as not good enough. So we try to, you know, we don't want to leave. We don't want to see people. We don't want to put ourselves out there when we're not Mm -hmm. feeling our best. How do you coach people out of that? And why is it important that we do push ourselves out during those times? Oh, it's a hard one because a lot of that relies on who the key players are in their life. And, and sometimes they don't have anyone. So I might become that person. And if they are in that place, a lot of times I will ask them to get a therapist as well. And so they, they at least have that, you know, they're kind of like their board of directors (laughs) helping them. Um, but you know, in the very beginning of the work that I do with women is I, we take inventory of who they're, I call them compassionate witnesses, um, who are these friends that they can rely on. <clears throat> and we, I, the assignment is, you know, to reach out more, to reach out to those people. And, and yes, they're going to hear all the voices like, you know, Kate doesn't want to hear this. She's too busy. She doesn't have these problems. She's going to think I'm stupid, you know, all of these things. And we, name them and do it anyway and and reach out anyway. And it's very, it's very thought out. You know, it's not, I don't just give out the assignment, like 
go to the Starbucks and tell the first barista that you see all your deepest, darkest <laughs> secrets. You know, it's, it's yeah. very thought out and, and really, um, yeah, it, it's just practice. It's just really practicing. And it's also, you know, I give the assignment too about expressing gratitude, about expressing gratitude for your friendships, you know, send a text to your friend and say, I don't think I ever told you this, but it was really awesome that time you were there for me when dot, 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 or, you know, I'm just really glad that you're my friend. Thank you. Just being thoughtful and things like that, that we often overlook in all of our relationships, not just our friendships, but, but yeah, friendships, especially it's just, it is really about practicing and it's going to be uncomfortable. Trust me. It's still uncomfortable for me too, (laughs) sometimes with my best friend, but it is really about practice and it becomes a little bit easier and a little bit easier. And that's how trust is built in these friendships by these small gestures of being thoughtful, of being grateful, of being kind and compassionate that builds trust over time. And that builds intimacy, which yes, is important in our friendships and that builds connection. And that is why we are here as human beings to connect with each other on these intimate levels. Mm -hmm. And that's really how a lot of the foundation of the work is laid in the work that I do. Yeah, I love that. I got that from you about how vulnerability leads to intimacy. And the more that you're vulnerable with someone, the more they feel comfortable to do that with Mm -hmm. you. And I think it's so it's like, oh, what a bummer. It takes, you have to be uncomfortable to grow, you know, too bad that you can't grow a different way, but that's just the way it is. And I I know there was a different way I would have hacked into it and be selling it. Yeah. And and I think it's like, well, and and this is something that I want to talk about because you've moved before. And I think moving is a big way of like taking yourself into an uncomfortable situation and allowing Mm. yourself to grow or no more like forcing yourself to grow but mm-hmm. you know what advice do you have on moving you know just in general on you know handling <sighs> that discomfort friendship mm-hmm. anything when it comes to that yeah so we've moved twice in my adult life so I'm, I'm born and raised in san diego yes it was a terrible place to grow up but i was there for 36 years and then we had two small babies and decided to get out for various reasons and we moved to the beautiful state of utah and that was that was difficult, honestly. Um, it was a beautiful state, and the people were so incredibly nice there. But I had a really hard time fitting in, and I had a couple of of good friendships, but um, I just didn't feel my heart wasn't there, and my heart was telling me like this is not the place that we're supposed to stay forever. So after three years, my husband found a job in North Carolina, and we moved, and we moved to a small rural town, and um, it was at, at, at least I had moved before. So I knew the pitfalls and the mistake I made the first time was that I really was under the impression that like in about six months I would have my best friends, you know, and like I was ready, like, where are they, you know, waiting for them to like show up on my doorstep, like as the welcoming committee or something. And that did not happen. And I had always wanted to play roller derby. So I joined to the local roller derby league and they were awesome, but they were also not my best friends and they were my friends, but they weren't like my people, like my people, you know? And so I was, I was really discouraged then. And that was really the only thing that I had done to be proactive. And I was, I was being a total victim and I was on the phone with Amy, you know, she was back in Southern California and she's like, well, what else have you done to make friends? I was like, nothing. (laughs) I want them to do all the work. Yeah. (laughs) How can I manifest this? So, um, yeah, I was trying to manifest without actually doing any work. So, and it was around that time actually that we moved. So now here, we've been here for two years in North Carolina and it, and it really is 
I have had to be proactive. And it's hard when you have small children. It is a little bit easier because you're kind of like, you know, there's networks and stuff with schools and everything, but it is about making that time. And, you know, I have like a couple of women that I really like and, um, you know, we're politically active and, and, and it really is about, you know, setting the dates, like let's go shopping on this date or let's have a play date and you can stay. And it's, it's about putting yourself out there and just being open and making that first move. And what I hear a lot from women too, is they're like, well, I want them to make an effort too. And I always say like, well, guess what, sister, you're the one that decided that personal development was for you. So you're the one that gets to model it. You're the one that gets to make the first move. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're the one that gets to kind of start these conversations where you're sharing, you know, it, it basically what it comes down to is like, you, you got to make the first move because more than likely they're not really into personal development and they're not going to do it. Yeah. So it's going to be like this standoff forever and you're not getting any younger. So go out <laughs> and do it. And that's really what I've done. And I think that can go for any age or like wherever you live. It's about being proactive as possible and and not quitting. You know, if like you go to the gym and there's nobody in your spin class that you like, then don't give up. Then go to a meetup or go to the dog park or you know, there's so many different different ways to connect with people in real life. Yeah. Yeah. We forget. I love that. That's really <laughs> helpful. What about, you know, dating and romantic relationships and keeping them healthy and intimate? What advice do you have there just in general and as a mother I think just I think always working on yourself because you can't control your partner like you can only show your partner how far you're willing to go and you know I'm a big fan of couples therapy like find a great marriage counselor or couples counselor um if you find one that you don't really like then go to a different one you know, like we, we have found one that we really, really like. And so I'm, I'm really happy about that. And it's just, it's, it's so great to have that person who is, um, not emotionally attached to you, to either of you to, to help you with your stuff. And, and, and really it is, I mean, I always tell people, you know, the best, the best time to work on your marriage is before you're married. You know, like I wish I would have done that <laughs> instead of bringing all my stuff into my marriage and then going like, oh, hey, this is all my shit. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> hope you still love me. And, you know, thank God he does. But but it really is about just like everything else I've been saying. It's just about getting really honest. You know, one of the things I think that is that is such a significant difference in my former marriage and, you know, versus the one I'm in now is that I own my stuff. I own what's mine. So in other words, like if I get triggered by my husband, which happens, like if you want to be the most vulnerable in your life, date someone, be in a relationship with someone. And that brings up all your stuff. Yeah. So if he triggers me unknowingly, it's not like he's a mean person. Like he does something or says something and it, it triggers one of my old wounds, which we all have them, you know, instead of like shooting off a really mean text to him back or lashing out or, or hurting him back, which he never purposely hurt me in the first place. Like I pause, I think that the pause has been, you know, one of like the hugest and easiest lessons to implement in my life is just, I'm very reactive and, um, I can, I can tend to make very emotional decisions quickly. So I just pause for a second, you know, before my thumbs start texting and wait, and then kind of ask myself, like, is this my stuff? 
And nine times out of 10, it is my stuff and that I need to take a look at and get curious about. And then if I have acted accidentally on purpose, um, then I need to apologize for it. And like, I've, I do it all the time. Like I apologize to my kids. I apologize to my husband. And um, it just is like, that's vulnerable. Like that's intimacy is, is really like owning your stuff and and making amends and saying, I'm just, I'm really sorry that I did that. And sorry if I hurt you. Yeah. That's, that's so good and also can make you cringe because it's oh, the, like the, the last thing that you want to do. Yeah. Which is yeah. always it's humbling. Know, it's helpful. It's, it's so humbling. But I'll tell you what, like I, I feel like such a grown woman <laughs> when I do that because the easy way is to lash out. Like you've ever been in an argument with someone and like you really think that you're right and then you're arguing and then all of a sudden you have that realization that you're wrong. Like yeah. has that ever happened to you? Oh, oh my totally. God, it's worse. So like I feel like it's worse to to like keep going with that than to just stop. And, and trust me, it's taken a lot of practice where I stop and I'm like I, – and I, I've done it so many times where I'm like, you know what? You're right. Yeah. I totally screwed up. You're right. Yeah. And it's amazing. Like the best is the look on the other person's face. You know, they're like, wait, we're done fighting. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. It's so like, and to have someone do that to you too. Um, it just validating, you know, and especially like I was gaslighting was a huge thing in my former relationship. We did it to each other all the time. It was so bad. And, um, yeah, now we just, we just don't do that at all. And it's yeah. just, it's so freeing and just and it feels like a grown-up relationship yes oh I don't know. yeah that's great we don't get it right every time I don't want to pretend that we get it right every time right but we, we can course correct yeah oh that's so good we talk about body image a lot on this podcast as well and I would love to know from you when you're having a bad body image day or moment what does that look like for you how do you handle that what are your tools it's interesting, and I'm surprised you even talk about this, though, on your show, because, like, I wouldn't imagine anyone still deals with this in 2017. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Right? Oh, I wasn't kidding. But, um, <laughs> me too. Maybe you know, my, 2027. 20, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe 2027. But I, you know, my body image stuff is much different now than it was even in 2007 or, or before that. You know, I'm, I'm 41 now. I've had two kids, and... Um, you know, turning the cor- corner over 40 is, you know, the, the aging is like starting to catch up with me. You know, it's like my neck looks different and just all these different things happen. And and it's taken on a whole I'm not trying to scare people. I'm just being honest, but it's kind of taken on a whole new not a new level. It's just different. It's just different than it was before. And I think that now what I do is just it's again, it's just really catching myself in the moment. And I think that when I am not taking care of myself physically and emotionally and spiritually, I have more of those moments where I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, oh, you know, but, but if I'm, I mean, my body can look exactly the same one day to the next. And if I'm taking care of myself one day, I won't even matter. But if I'm not taking care of myself, it will. So I think there's a, that's a huge component. And I don't think that anybody takes care of themselves hundred percent of the time. Like I sometimes make good choices and sometimes make bad choices with food and exercise and things like that. And, um, you know, it's interesting you asked this question. So yesterday my sister tagged me in a picture, 
on Facebook that was from, I think I calculated based on the age of my niece in the picture. So it was about 14 years ago. So it was probably like 26 or 27. And I'm looking at the picture and like, I, I audibly gasped. Like I, I'm standing sideways and I, at that time I probably was not well, um, but I was probably a good 15 pounds thinner and like it kind of shocked me you know and just and and like that whole thing came in of like oh girl you don't look like that anymore you know and and really I just allowed myself to like look at that girl and I just I really had compassion for her because I was not well then and um and it's just you know I guess I'm kind of just like talking out loud about like what a day in the life looks like really that's great that's what I want just it's just compassion and again the pause and um really just getting curious about it and yeah that's what it looks like now yeah being a mother and a mother of a daughter what is the conversation Mm -hmm. around body image for you with her she's seven and so you know she already asked me um you know, we have the exact same <clears throat> same body and it's the same body that my mom has always had. So I have a little bit of a sway back. So where like, I don't know if you know what that is, but like my, um, the way that my spine is curved. So I kind of like just naturally like kind of stick my belly out and that's exactly the way her body is too. And she is tiny, she's seven years old. And she asked me the other day, she's like, mommy, how do I get my tummy flat? Mm. And I was like, no, it was actually like a few months ago. And I was just, I mean... I was speechless. Like she's seven years old. Aww. And so I asked her like, why, why is that important to you? Why, why is it important to you that your tummy is flat? She's like, I don't know. And then she's like on to the next thing. Yeah. She didn't want, you know, it's just like, she just doesn't care anymore because, you know, two seconds had passed. So to be honest with you, I don't, it hasn't really come up a whole lot yet. I think she's still a little bit young, but it's going to happen very, very, very soon. But I do already talk to her about, um, you know, just like I also tell her both that compliment her on her intrinsic, you know, virtues and her external stuff like that. She's beautiful and, and all of those things, but also that she's smart and kind and brave. And we talk about that all the time. And 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 I'm I'm trying to instill that as best I can. But it, it's really interesting. It's I've, I've heard this from so many parents who are in this field. You know, it's like we can talk about it all day long and we can like be the expert. But when it comes to our own family, we completely fall apart. Mm. And it's it's true, I think, for a lot of us. I think when you are so emotionally attached to people, like you just like freeze up and and it doesn't always go well. And so, yeah, I mean, all that to say, I haven't faced it too much yet, but it is definitely coming. Yeah, and probably just the biggest thing is being the example and watching what you're saying. I know Bex said that to me the first time she came on my podcast. It's all about, you know, what she says about herself because they pick up all of that. Yeah. You know what? That's really interesting though, Katie, because my mom never said anything bad about her own body. She never talked badly about other women's bodies. I never saw my mom weighing herself. My mom was active. She played tennis my entire childhood she was on the tennis court the day before she gave birth to me. There's pictures of her so pregnant. Like she just was an active woman who was curvy too. She wasn't super, super thin. She was probably like a size eight or 10 and, um, but really in shape. And I still grew up so screwed up. And you know what I have 
pointed it back to. I was a poster child for the media. You know, I grew up on MTV and 80s, like aerobics, and that was really big then. I grew up in the 80s. And what I think, if there was a misstep from my mom, it was that she never talked about it at all. It just was a non-issue. And I have my Hello Kitty diary from when I was a little girl and dated 1987. I was 11. I was almost 12. And um, I wrote in there that I thought I was fat. And like, Dear Diary, I think I'm getting fat. And it must have been right around the time I was starting puberty, you know, like when I was probably starting to fill out a little bit. And in my diary, I said, I asked my mom if she thought I was fat. And she said, no, you're just average. And then you can see I started weighing myself every day, just completely heartbreaking. And, you know, I can imagine that is exactly what my mom said and then never, never asked me anything else about it again. And so you know, maybe, who knows, maybe if my mom would have talked to me more about it, I still would have gone down the path that I did in my 20s with my eating disorder. But it was, again, one of those things like we didn't talk about things like that. You know, just she just didn't. So, again, I don't think it's her fault. (laughs) But like if I had to look back and like say like where it could have gone a little bit different, that would have been helpful just to like have some kind of conversation you know, and like there was no talk about sex. There was no talk about really anything personal. So that's something I'm going to do differently with my children. Like yeah. they already know they can talk to me about anything. Like I've told, like my daughter already knows like all the, she's held a mirror up to her vagina. Like she got tapped from like, you know, when your bathing suit's too tight in the summer yeah. and there's like and stuff and she got a little bit chapped. And so she got a mirror and I swear to God, Katie, I never took a mirror to my own vagina until I was in my 20s. Same. Like never saw yeah. it. I didn't know like what was going on down there at all. And so, yeah, me trying to put a tampon in for the first time when I was in ninth grade, was a dis- I was trying to put it in my pee hole. Like, yeah. Like, I couldn't even do it until college. I didn't even do it until college. <laughs> so I was like, my daughter is going to become intimately just aware of her own lady parts, That's like all so of it. Great. And so I like, I'm like, you can touch it. Just make sure that it's in private. Like, it, you know, and I've talked to her about all of that. So that's, that's so different great. than how I grew up. Yeah. yeah, that's different. Same. I grew up the same way with no conversation about sex, no conversation about my body. And I've had to really kind of parent myself in that way in my early 20s so far. The last five years I've been teaching myself about sex Mm -hmm. and my body and weight and, you know, looking at the media and weight as a social issue and all these things that I wish I would have, would have saved me a lot of trouble when I was younger. But, you know, again, everything happens for a reason. Everyone did the best that they could, all the pop-ups, right? But, you know, it's, it's something that definitely I think about. And speaking Mm -hmm. of of parenting advice and, you know, that was fantastic about just having that open communication, but you know, you're a fantastic mother and you have one child with special needs. What are some ways that you take care of yourself as a, as a busy mother and how does that impact your parenting? Um, God, there's probably a lot of things. I, you know, I try my best to work out, you know, on a regular basis and, you know, all that things don't, don't try not to eat too much sugar, which it's Girl Scout cookie season. So I'm failing out miserably right now. But, um, but really just, you know, I have regular date nights with my husband. I turn work off. I mean, this is just kind of common sense stuff, but I think it can become just something that we forget. You know, I turn off work and again, know that it will be there when I, (laughs) when I, um, when I return and, um, yeah, you know, it's like I hit the jackpot with my kids. Like they just, they're just really great. And just, 
and and we go to bed early and we you know we have a really quiet house like there's it's not chaotic here at all i put really we have really strict limits about screen time and and even on the weekends like they're not allowed to turn it on too early and just like it, it's just really small things that we've developed as a family and and we also we are just nice to each other and most nights we sit in our dining room and have dinner together and we have conversations and um you know we tell each other like what our favorite parts of the day was and if we had any not so great parts of the day and it's my daughter's favorite thing and mm. we just talk to each other and and i i hope we've, we've been doing that since they were little little and that's something that i want to continue you know hopefully as long as possible just to at least a couple times a week to be able to connect like that i think that is a huge part of our happiness is just getting to connect like that. And like, and, and, you know, Jason and I don't talk over the children during dinner. We have conversations with each other. You know, it's not like he and I are talking and, and excluding them, which I know kind of happens in some families, but, but no, we just, we talk to each other. It's great. And will you adopt me? That sounds I know. Like (laughs) I didn't even realize like I, I how until I just said it all out loud and I'm like, it's, I do, I do have a lot of moments of like just immense gratitude that I sit into and I'm just like, oh my God, like this is, and I have to be careful because then I get like that whole quiver of like waiting for the other shoe to drop, but just like, it's, it's magical. You know, it, 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 I hate, you know, to sound too much like Drew Barrymore, but it's like, it really is like, I just, I look back at like what happened in my life and, and I just, I'm so, I'm just really, really blessed and yeah. And I will adopt you. Yes. Oh, I love it. That makes me so guest happy. Room. That makes me so happy. <laughs> Yay. Perfect. Well, I want to come visit and hang out. <laughs> it's so pretty here. Yeah. Watch out for the Confederate flags, but oh, <laughs> we're in the rural South. Everyone's oh, really goodness. nice, but it's sometimes a little bit of culture shock for people from big cities. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> this has been delightful. I want to wrap with my questions that I ask everyone kind of quick fire. So just kind of say the first things that come to your mind. Cool. Okay. 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 Um, what does your morning and evening routines look like? Maybe the first three things you do when you wake up in the morning and the last three things you do before you go to sleep at night. Uh, the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is uh, go downstairs for like 10 minutes before my kids get up and I have some coffee and I, I know this is not what I'm supposed to say, but I do check my email. I don't reply to any of them. I just see if there's you know anything really interesting. Um, and then I get my kids ready for school. And then when they're all done at school, that's when I, I, I meditate and have that kind of time, that kind of time, like once I get back here. And then what was the other part of the question in the evening? Yeah. I um, help my kids with their homework. We do dinner, homework, then get them to bed. And then I usually watch some Netflix with my husband and um, just get to talk about our day, and hang out with him. And then we go to bed. What's your favorite thing you guys have been watching on Netflix lately? We're watching Schitt's Creek and it's hilarious. Oh, is that the Drew Barrymore one? No, no. that's the Santa Clarita Diet. I don't think that's on Netflix. Maybe it is on Netflix. But no, Schitt's Creek is with Eugene Levy oh, and his cool. son is in it and his daughter is in it too. It's, oh, my, oh my God. God it's that. so funny. It's oh, this really rich cool. family that loses all their money and they have to go live in this town that they bought kind of like as a joke. And it's and it's and the town is called Schitt's. Oh, that's so and funny. So funny. That's super funny. I want to talk about entrepreneurship a little bit. What is your greatest lesson there and how do you handle the uncertainty that that comes with that? And do you have any advice for, you know, transitioning from stability of a a full-time job to, you know, that type of uncertainty that comes with entrepreneurship? 
I think just don't overthink it. I think, you know, entrepreneurship is much different now than it was when I started in 2009, 2010. It's, it's, it, it hasn't even been that long, but it's a completely different ballgame. And I think now even more so is like my advice of just don't overthink it. Like there's so many different rabbit holes you can go down and just, just start, you're going to start slow. Like block out all of those ads that are telling you you need to make six figures and have funnels and all of these different things within six months of your business and just do just pay attention to your people to your audience like who's listening and connect with them and do what your gut says love that what's your ultimate vision for your work you know, it's so funny. I was just talking to, to Amy about that um, because I haven't thought about it since I first started. And I I, asked, I called her and I'm like, do you have a vision for the Joy Junkie? And she was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been having this conversation. Um, I don't think too much big vision. I, I It overwhelms me and I get totally freaked out. But I just, I would love to work less and be able to do more philanthropic things and more of those endeavors and be more of an activist and um, still be able to spread the message. That's kind of all I got right now. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite part of the work you do? Um, Getting to hear women's stories because I think that I'm just honored to be able to hear them. And I think that everybody has a story. Like you reach a certain age and you more than likely have had the emotional shit kicked out of you. And I think that just being just being there to hear women's stories and be able to hold the space for them is just an honor and a privilege that I that never gets old for me. I love that. You're also an amazing writer. What are some of your writing practices or writing tips or any processes or like routines you have around writing? I have lots. So I think that, and this does not happen for me very often, but anytime you feel a burst of creativity, write, um, whether it's like notes in your iPhone or you get to sit down and do it pen and paper, however you can. I think also if I'm feeling, you know, I went through this when when my dad died. I love different softwares. I use Scrivener to write my book and I I love Omwriter. It it's like this music and it's just beautiful. And I put that on and I will immediately write some like dark and tragic poem. (laughs) But it's like, I think I have to get those feelings out sometimes to be able to process stuff. So I love doing that too. And I, and too, like as a writer, I think I went through this long period, especially if you, if you're writing a book and a blog at the same time, um, where you, anything you write, you feel like you have to put out into the world for work. And you know, Jamie Jensen is, is one of my friends. She's a screenwriter too. And she said, one of the biggest elements of self-care as a writer is to write for yourself, like that no one will see just for you. So I've been trying to implement that more and it's been really helpful. Oh, I love that. That's, yeah, I think that's really great. I've been doing morning pages, you know, Julia mm-hmm. Cameron's, and mm-hmm. the, the first tool in my book is, is similar to that. And I think, you know, some days I can kind of mine it for things that I want to share, but the majority of it is just for me and just taking that pressure off the writing is everything that my book was about. I love that. Good. Where do you hear your intuition the loudest and how do you remember to listen to it? Mine is just kind of like an all over, uh, you know, body, head, soul, heart, aura feeling like it's just, it's such like a quick, almost like the wind just like whipped through and just told me 
Mm. Like that's that's how I explain it. I've never had to explain it before, so that's what you get. Um, what was the second part of the question? How do you remember to listen to it? I don't have a choice. Like I don't. I think that I've 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 had such tragic things happen by not listening to it. I know better, and yeah. and now it looks like. Um, about like a client, like if someone wants to work with me and my intuition is like, no, it's not a good fit, you know, um, things like that, like listening to that. Yeah. Love that. What was the best part of your day so far today? This conversation. Aw, yeah, I love that. <laughs> no, truly, truly. Like I didn't have any other appointments today at all. It was all just like tasks and like busy work and, um, yeah, no, this has been awesome. I'm super grateful. Oh, good. Well, the name of this podcast is Let It Out, as you know. Is there anything that you wish that I would have asked that you feel like you wanted to share? Anything that you have inside of you that you want to let out on this podcast still? <laughs> sure. No, I'll just like say one more thing. I think that um I think what what's kind of like I hate to say it, but kind of like trendy in the wellness world now is like the dry life and and sobriety. So if anyone's listening who feels like they might be drinking a little bit too much, or even if you're not, but you're just kind of curious about like taking 30 days off or a whole year off or something like that, there's so many people to follow on Instagram or um, you know, just like in the world that have chosen the sober life or the dry life, whether they have a problem with alcohol or not. So, you know, feel free. I have a whole recovery, um, um, series on my podcast where I've interviewed all different stories of, of people, of, of women. And, um, and we welcome you if, yes. if you're, if you, if you want to join us. Oh, I love that. I love that. I'm so glad that you shared that. Did you have fun? I did. I did. I did. This is interesting because it's like later for me and usually by now I am like wiped out. Yeah. But you know, you're you're very good at what you do and I'm just I I love the work that you do and and just I'm always happy to get on the phone with you. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much. I had a blast and thank you for doing it a little bit later in the day and I'm so glad that you're my friend and that we're connected. This was lovely. Likewise. And anybody who's listening, I just I wish all of you the best and um I hope that that me being so open and just, you know, kind of spreading myself out there for the whole world to see inspires other people to do the same because we're all just trying to take care of each other and, and walking each other home. Oh, it definitely will. And I'll have all the links to everything in the show notes. And I've already said this in the intro by the time people are hearing this, but I love Andrea's work and her podcast and her books, soon to be two books. And I just think everyone needs to go down the wormhole of your kick-ass life mm -hmm. and Thanks. really just like get obsessed with her because she's great. And whenever I like need a little pick-me-up, I turn on your podcast or Amy's podcast and hopefully there's both of you on it <laughs> episode <laughs> I happen to choose, which the likelihood is like kind of high because you guys yeah. collaborate a lot, which <laughs> I love. Um, and yeah, I just get a dose of, of inspiration and self-help and it's lovely. Mm, thank you. Yeah. Well, this was great. We did it. I feel I feel complete. Do you feel I'm complete? complete. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, I'm complete too. Yay, cool. All right, that was my conversation with Andrea Owen. I love her. Isn't she great? Speaking of great women, let's get to my conversation with Dr. Ginger and get ready to hear great advice about your oral health. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Ginger. I'm so excited to meet you and hear a bit more about your experience and what led you to create your wonderful products. Yes, absolutely. So you're in Arizona, is that right? 
Yes, I'm in Phoenix. Awesome. Is that where you're from? Is it, are you guys based there? Yes, I grew up in Arizona, and so basically been here my whole life. Nice. So how did you get into dental care, and why did you decide that coconut oil was the best ingredient to use in your products? Yes, so how I became a dentist, I was actually a fine arts major in college. Oh, no way. <laughs> and my dad kept saying, when are you going to get a real major? Because he was a family doctor and he didn't think it was going to be a good career path. So he was getting his teeth straightened when I was a junior in college. And he said, why don't you go to dental school? There's a lot of creativity and it looks like a better career path. So... So that's how I got into the field. Wow, really, I don't think about creativity when I think of dental care. Can you talk <laughs> about that a little bit? What was what was he thinking was so creative about it, and what have you found is creative about being a dentist? Well, it's certainly gotten a lot more creative. I've been a dentist for almost 35 years, and uh, today, with all the cosmetic treatment, um, I use my creative eye every day with people. So, it's, uh, but yeah, sometimes people don't think about the creativity, but size, shape, mm. how teeth relate to people's features, color, all those things are very creative. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I love that. Can you talk a little bit about why you decided to create your own dental care products and, and what they are and how that kind of part started to happen? Yes. So I've never really liked um, the mouthwashes that are out there on the market. They've always seemed harsh to me. And people always ask me, well, what should I be using? And, of course, two or three years ago, people would come in and say, hey, I'm doing this oil pulling. What do you think? And at first I was a little skeptical, but when I checked into it, there's actually a lot to it. And then when I started checking more, because, you know, we know oil pulling does work, but it's sort of an arduous process. Just try and swish for the 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So when I started checking, there were no actual products wrapped around that concept. So that's how the original ideas got started. Oh, that's so interesting. I've been a really long-time oil puller and recently got out of the habit in the last couple of years or so. But for a while, I was doing the 20 minutes every morning, and it was, like you said, it was a process, and it was something that just I didn't really look forward to doing. So that's so amazing that your products take that concept into something that can make it easier for people. So... What are the ingredients in your products? And you also have toothpaste as well. Is that right? Toothpaste and a whitening gel. Oh, talk so, about those a little bit and why yes. the ingredients in those are different from conventional products. Yes, so the, so the mouthwash, uh, it, the main ingredient is coconut oil, but it does have a couple of other ingredients that... Uh, reduce bacteria and again reduce that time period for the rinsing. Uh, zinc chloride is in there which is a safe ingredient but reduces tartar and then it has a nice minty flavor just a pleasant product to use. And then uh, the toothpaste because even if you still are a oil pulling fan uh, 
you want toothpaste so that your mouth has that fresh feeling and mm -hmm. clean feeling. So the toothpaste is a very low abrasive, has, again, has a nice minty flavor, and but the main ingredient's coconut oil, so it's a nice, really nice product to use. I'm so excited to try your products. That sounds perfect and ideal. What results have you seen with your patients who have been using your products? Yes, so uh, we've, we've been using uh, products with our patients for almost a year now. And first of all, people love how easy it is to use and pleasant. But we have seen some great clinical results because, uh, as I think, more and more people are aware now the bacteria in our mouth keeping that down and keeping the mouth as healthy as possible definitely ties into our overall health care so we see less gingivitis and people just uh, really are getting great results using the product oh that's i'm so happy that it exists and that you decided to create saw a need and then decided to create something <laughs> Yeah, okay. it's been a process. Yeah, yeah, I bet it's been a lot of work keeping up with your practice as well as being an entrepreneur. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this question might be self-serving a little bit, but also I know that a lot of people my age have, my friends, almost everyone that I know has had this issue, and I don't know if it's something because a lot of us had braces when we were younger, but... A lot of us are having receding gum lines. Is that something that you're seeing in your patients? And it, does that come from brushing too hard? Or I've heard it's come from that and also from having braces when we were younger. Can you talk about that and what we can do to kind of help that? And can your products help that? Yes, great question. So the number one thing that we see with recession is tied to the bite. Uh, and so in a, to simply explain that, teeth can take a lot of force when it's distributed just right down the vertical uh, axis of the tooth. But if teeth are tipped, they don't like that. And so it eventually uh, does cause the, the bone and the gum to recede. What so do you mean if teeth are tipped? So like if they've had braces? So if, if the way a person's teeth come together sets the bite up in such a way that the teeth get a torquing or a twisting force, then the, the teeth over time, the gum and the um, bone recede. And so the other thing that ties into that is clenching. Mm. So those are the two biggest things that, that get the recession started. So Okay, so it doesn't really have to do with having had braces or brushing too hard. It's more about clenching? Uh, how your bite is set up, and then clenching just adds to that. Yeah. Okay, so the bite could be, so in my case, I had an overbite, and then I had headgear to fix that when I was younger. So could that have potentially set up the situation? Well... Not necessarily that you went through the process, but you could have a few teeth that are just hitting early or hitting on an angle, and so that will cause the recession, if Got that makes it. sense. 
Yeah. So is recession something that you can reverse or prevent or what are some things that that we can do between dental visits to help with that? Because I know for me it's it can be so painful and sensitive. Yes, yeah, so the only way to truly reverse recession is with some gum grafting, but it would be important to have your bite check just to make sure that the forces are are not disadvantageous. Now the products, what they do, because it's so important to keep the bacteria away from those pockets right where that, that receded area is, so the cleaner you keep that, you're going to avoid getting cavities on the root surface or the, where it's exposed. Cool. So what is your best tip for brushing and dental health in general that you want to leave people with? Yes. So flossing, flossing, flossing. <laughs> I know there was a recent thing, downing flossing, and it's, it's probably the number one and then I love the Sonicare toothbrush that's just a great toothbrush and then your products are really important you know you want something that's not too harsh no alcohol and our products are fluoride free a lot of people are trying to avoid fluoride so those are the components that I really recommend in a routine cool I love that well how can people get in touch with you and find your products and try them out because I'm so excited. <laughs> yes. Uh, thank you. So we are uh, on the web. It's www.drgingers. There's no apostrophe, just drgingers.com. And then we are also on Amazon. Perfect. Nice and easy. I will have all the links in the show notes. I am so glad that I got to speak with you. I'm so glad you created your products. I'm very excited they exist, and it was lovely speaking with you. Well, same here, Katie. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. So the name of this podcast is Let It Out, and the question I ask everybody at the end is, is there anything that you want to share, anything you still want to let out, anything that you want to tell everyone just before we leave? Uh, I, I guess the main thing is it's uh, really important to find the product that's right for you, uh, for your health care, and to keep, keep the uh, smile bright. Very important for everybody. Yeah, you're never fully dressed without a smile, right? That's right. I love that. <laughs> Have a great day. It was so nice talking with you. Thank you for doing the show. Thank you, Katie. All right, you guys, two interviews, one episode. You're still listening right now? You get a pat on the back and you keep listening. I'm going to tell you who's coming up on the show next week. But first, I want to talk about Care-of again. You heard me talk about them at the beginning. I love them. You guys, get your personalized vitamins. Why not? You know, they're really great and they use the best ingredients and their user experience is fantastic. And I love them. And you can support the podcast by trying them out 50% off your order. That's like $10. You know what I mean? Anyway, check it out for the entire month. I mean, $10 for your supplements for the month. If they're $20, that could be really cool. So go to takecareof.com and use the code Katie at checkout. That's take careof.com and use the code Katie for 15, not 15, 50, 50, crazy. That's a lot of amount off of your supplements. 
All right, and if you want to try out this toothpaste that I'm obsessed with, I highly suggest it. Use the code COCO, C-O-C-O, for 15% off. All right, I love you guys. The emoji for this episode is going to be the toothbrush. I think there's a toothbrush emoji. Probably should have checked that. Hopefully there is. There's got to be. There's got to be. Or a tooth. Something dental related, please. And if you can't do that, I don't think there's a coconut. Toothbrush. There's got to be a toothbrush. There's got to be a tooth or a toothbrush or a smile. Something dental related, please. That would be fantastic. All right. I love you guys. Next week on the podcast, Andrew Michon. He's a comedian. He's a writer. He's a performer. He's really into plant-based eating. He is really nice. He's funny. He has cool dogs. And he's also dating and living with previous podcast guest, Andre Vermeulen, who you guys really loved. And I can't wait to hear her boyfriend next week. All right. Love you guys. Talk to you then. Bye. Oh, and I'm back because I just wanted to tell you, thank you for listening. I forgot to say that and I really do appreciate it and I really do appreciate you and I appreciate this podcast so much. If you have any feedback or advice, please leave it in an iTunes review, Um, give me some stars or just, you know, send me an email, send me a tweet. Okay, that's all I want to say. Talk to you later. Bye.
right, cat's out of the bag. I'm moving to New York. That's what's happening. I can't believe it. It's it's pretty cool. It's very scary and challenging, and finding an apartment in New York City is difficult. And if you live there and you have any advice for me or you have lived there, let me know. If you know someone who needs a roommate or a chill subleaser, again, please let me know. I'm trying to find an apartment, and I'm actually going to be with Katie and our other friends that we mentioned in this episode this weekend. And hopefully I, I can figure it out, but I will be living in New York in, in a couple months. So, all right. I love you guys so much. Thank you for listening and just being supportive of my big life update. Again, for me, it's a big deal. For some people, moving is, is not that big of a deal, but I've never lived outside of Michigan and I've never lived outside of the Midwest. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. It's a big step for me. Like I said in the episode, I'm kind of a stepping stone person where my best friend, Katie, is more of a big leap and the net will appear type person. So here we go. I'm about to take a leap. Well, I've had some stepping stones before the leap. But anyway, I love you guys. Thanks for listening. I'm definitely rambling right now. But if you are still listening, the emoji for this week's episode is the Statue of Liberty. What else did you think it was going to be? So send me and Katie the Statue of Liberty if you have still been listening and let me know what you think about living in New York and if you've ever lived there or wanted to live there. And we should do a meetup there. Once I'm there, maybe we all the people who listen to the podcast who live there, we could all meet up and get coffee or like a pitaya bowl or something. That might be really cool. All right. I love you guys, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.